Hey, it is great to see you. Good morning. And uh, if you're visiting here, my name is Al. I'm the pastor here, and uh, it's fantastic to see you. Um, if you if you've been coming here uh, this year, so what what are we now? It's end of February. I did the math. We're 54 days into the year. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? 54 days into a season where if you're visiting with us today, there is a sense that God is doing something different and powerful in our midst. Great, thank you for agreeing. <laughs> and I suppose I just wanted to start out by saying that um, because, uh, you know, we started the year by saying, you know, there's a real sense of God wanting to do something new. There's a sense of the kingdom rising, the kingdom being present, and God wants to do something different to you. And I just wanted to start by saying, it's happening. It's happening. So, I mean, you know, and it, our services have changed. Uh, there's a different tone about the place. The times of ministry uh, are getting more powerful. There was, there's just so much going on. You know, this morning there were like 30 people downstairs at 8 o'clock in the morning. Actually, before 8 o'clock in the morning, there was a prayer meeting going on, praying for all of this. There are people now wandering around the sanctuary before service praying. There was a big group studying the things of the Spirit at 8.50 till 9.50. They made it here into the sanctuary today. That was awesome. And uh, what else? And there was a gifts course over the weekend. There's just so many things happening. After service today, you know, it's becoming difficult to find rooms to have meetings in. There's a, the ministry team are gathering to encourage one another. I've got a, a care team that's forming that we're meeting. So there's all kinds of things. I want to say particularly I knew that God was on the move in our midst this Thursday night, this Thursday, the past Thursday. Did you all survive Snowmageddon? Uh-huh. Snowmageddon came to Charlotte. And you know how everything shuts down, there's total pandemonium. Harris Teeter was very busy, I couldn't get a parking spot when I went to get some lunch. The bread aisles were empty for the light dusting of snow. <coughs> and so we were planning to start our discipleship group gathering here, and um, we're like, oh, do you think we should cancel it? I mean, this snow, snow, ah! And we kind of, we, you know, we kind of put it off and put it off. And I like putting off making the decision about where to do anything with snow. But I want to tell you, it makes no difference. It doesn't make it any easier. I'm like, maybe they'll be like 10 feet by in an hour's time. Anyway, we said, no, we, do you know what? So we're going to make this thing happen. So we decided to go ahead. And do you know what? Pretty much everyone came. We had a packed room. And, I, and people were hungry. They're like, we're not going to be put off by snow again. Nothing's going to stop us. And there was such powerful night and it was just I was so encouraged because I'm like do you know the thing is God is on the move and I felt him say that it was going to be like a pilot light you, know, you get a little pilot light and then it, it then it goes like this kind of lights the other gas first and then it goes and I just want to say it's happening it's happening and um, so uh, uh, I'm very excited I felt like Lord say there's going to be waves and it's like the first wave the first wave is moving but I also wanted to say that, and I, 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 mean, I wanted to be excited and I wanted to share that with you because it is great to see. But I also wanted to say that um, the kingdom of God never advances without resistance. The kingdom of God never advances without resistance. And so as well as the good stuff is happening, there's also resistance happening. There's also 
I'm encountering a whole bunch of people right now that are like, well, you know, I had this amazing thing happen, and now, you know, now I'm just, I'm really kind of down. And now this is happening, and just life seems such a struggle. And I want to say that um, I felt the Lord put on my heart for us as a community um, <coughs> today a message of hope and encouragement. A message of hope and encouragement. Because just because things are bad does not mean or that it's difficult or heavy that God is not on the move. That God is not on the move. And so there's a part of what I want to, to bring to what I felt the Lord say is, Woohoo! It's happening! And yeah, I know that for some of us it's difficult, but it's going to be okay. That's not the entire message of encouragement. There's more coming. But I thought what better way to start than... Um, to invite someone to come and share a testimony. And I've said to you uh, uh, all, all this year that we want to take more opportunities, as many opportunities as we can, to share stories of what God is doing. And um, I'm really excited today to share or to be able to uh, invite uh, someone up who's got an amazing story that has been unfolding over many years. And uh, he was sitting there, but he's not there anymore. So I hope, Josh, you're still in the room. Oh, there you are. You moved. Let's Josh a round of applause as he comes on up. All right, so um, now I know that uh, really this, the, your story for a long time has been closely intertwined to that of your mum and growing up. I mean, she was diagnosed with, with a serious depressive disorder. I can't remember the exact phrase you used. And um, so for many years growing up, uh, it was incredibly difficult for you. I know she tried to commit suicide three times, and the last time you actually saved her life. So I, I wonder if you might just start out by telling us a little bit about what, you know, what, what was just briefly what was life like for you growing up and just tell us you know about that time you, s you had to save a life sure so i think you know it's important to uh, recognize that my mom was a very loving mom um i had a very loving family growing up uh, but there was a lot of chaos and um growing up through the chaos was pretty traumatic but as i uh, started to notice that she had depression uh, i was a little bit more involved with her her care, and so um, in the in the third attempt uh, where she committed where she attempted suicide, I was actually uh, several cities away, and I got a text from her saying I'll always love you, and I just knew what that meant. So I tried to figure out where she was in a panic, and searching on Google, and I just guessed to call this one pharmacy, and I said I think my mom's in the parking lot attempting suicide. Please please check. And they went out, came back, and said that, you know, they found her unconscious in the car and that she, um, that the ambulance is on the way. And I realized at that time, had I not intervened, that she wouldn't be with us today. Yeah, well done. And, um, uh, you know, you were t w we spent some time talking about it, and really you were expressing to me just the, the weight that you've had to carry uh, for her care, really since you were about 15 and and the burden that this has been just just tell us a little bit about what that's involved for you and I know in your marriage uh, and it's been a, a long a long thing a, a long um, act of love really on your behalf just tell us a bit about what that's been like sure so until my wife came along I I really felt like lonely through this process um, since I was 15 you know my mom leaned on me a lot for like counseling her and her marriage with my father and you know, just crazy things that you wouldn't have to expect to go through as a child. And I grew up really fast. Um, my 20s were, were incredibly dif difficult for me. Um, but as, as, uh, 
as I worked with my mom, I felt like I had this shadow over me that was a huge burden, and, and no matter where I went or what I was doing for work or my personal life, like this was always in the back of my mind, my inability to help my mom out of the situation. You just say a little bit more about that last bit, the inability, because you did so much, you've done so much for her, but just tell us what, you know, the inability piece. Sure, so I'm a, I'm a strategy guy, and I, I think of life in, in terms of chess, <laughs> and I think uh, I, I couldn't figure out a solution for her. I couldn't pull her out of this situation. Um, I would visit her often, and the conversations would be the same. You know, she's the one that brought me to faith, and she taught me how to, how to take big strides in, in faith, um, to see God in, in different situations, and here I was um, seeing her asking me, to bring a gun and shoot her. Um, I mean, just crazy things that you shouldn't have to hear your parents say. And, um, you know, that's pretty hard to, to swallow. Yeah, it's a massive, um, massive struggle. So t tell us, so I know that really this, this was, a, this was a, a story that started in prayer. Uh, so just tell us about how that started to unfold and the impact that it had on you first and foremost. Yeah, so, so first off, I have to recognize my wife. Um, if it... <laughs> Let me hold back my tears. Um, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here today. Um, and I also rec want to recognize you and, and this church and, and leadership team, Lynn specifically. Um, you guys have been um, helping me through this and um, helping us uh, as, a, as a couple to go through this together. But over the last three years, we've, we've began to get more intentional about our prayers and uh, really start praying for, for God to intervene and for the burden to be lifted. And, and through that process, I felt uh, little by little, um, and I want to emphasize little by little, yeah. um, that the burden started to feel like I was giving more to God. And so that it started in your heart, but just, just tell everyone how God has changed the situation completely now. Yeah, so about a year ago, um, my brother had his first child, uh, Xander. And my brother has had a very estranged relationship with my mom growing up. So um, he left pretty early on. He's an older brother and didn't really want to deal with the situation at home. So, you know, I stepped up and, and did what I needed to do. But um, after he had a child, uh, which was about the time that our prayers, you know, started getting a lot more intense, um, I noticed this heart to start to soften. And uh, I saw God working in his life. And He's not a, a Christian yet, um, but I think that uh, through this process, he's um, beginning to see a little bit more of, of the reality of the situation, what it's like to be a parent, what it's like to, to love uh, a parent, and, and he's uh, now stepping up to take the lead and, and helping her. So that you said to me, this is a miracle. Just, just explain to everyone why this is a, a massive transformation. Yeah, so I, I feel like this has, uh, I was journaling about it, and I, I think that God has unleashed my burdens. He has he's freed me from um, that shadow that, that has been following me everywhere. And I, I feel for the first time in a long time that I'm able to focus on myself, my, my marriage, my career, and I'm I'm transforming people's lives in, in my business. I'm seeing um, not only impact in in people's uh, companies and their profits, but also in their personal lives. I'm I'm sharing scripture with people that don't believe in 
in my workplace and um, teaching them that there's more to life than just business. So he's really set you free in lots of ways, and now you're being very dangerous for the kingdom, <laughs> which is great. So just, just finally, and I, I told you I was going to ask you for one thing, but you told me you are going to do two things. But uh, just if there was one thing or two things you've learned about Jesus in this process, what would it be? Yeah, so th the first thing is um, this, this process for me, you know, it's been going on for 15 years, and I, I felt like, you know, I always knew to be steadfast because of the way my mom raised me in, in faith for God moving in certain situations, no matter how large. And um, this process has been kind of like uh, a tree being chopped down, and it's slow. Uh, sometimes you don't see the tree fall in, in one fell swoop, but um, rest assured, as long as you're steadfast in your faith, that God is moving in those situations. Uh, the second thing I'll say is, um, my, my wife uh, shared this perspective with me, is like some, some of you may not be going through traumatic experiences or hearing testimonies in your own life that you feel are qualified to be here on stage and I'll just share with you that you know God God cares about the normal hardships that you're going through and God is working in those situations as well so you need to remain steadfast and and understand that he's working through everything for the good of his kingdom amen amen well done Valerie, I wonder if you might stand up. And we're going to pray for you guys. I mean, you don't have to come up here, don't worry, but just stand there. That'd be great. Just, I want you to feel as awkward as possible. <laughs> <laughs> if those be around her, would just lay a hand on her shoulder. And uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm sure, let's just all close our eyes. But uh, listen, this is, um, I, I, I felt the Lord wanted you to know that He's seen you and he, His love for you I is, is just beyond words. And He is. You've been so faithful and you've stood so firmly in these difficult times and he honors you and he loves you. And so, uh, Lord, I just want to pray. It's like um, he's, he's setting you both free now and he's going to bring so much life through you and through your marriage. And so we want to pray for a grace on you. We want to pray for an abundance of his freedom to pour out from you. And every lie that's been spoken over you, we're just going to break it now in Jesus' name. And we want to pray for just the fullness of the things you have for them to be released in them now. We pray for their marriage. We pray for their work. We pray for the ministry you have for them. Release, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Bless you. Let's give them another round of applause. And uh, Josh, thank you so much for coming and sharing that. Okay, woo, that was good. Um, so I said that really I felt the Lord w wanted me to bring a message of hope and encouragement today. Hope no matter what is going on in your life. Encouragement to keep pressing into the things that Jesus has for us individually and as a church. And I'm pretty excited because I get to do that today. We're going to read. The reading I've got for you today is one of the biggest, the most hope-filled sections of Scripture that there is. Who's ready? Good. Uh, so we're going to be in Ezekiel 47, and this is on page 717 in the Red Bibles. 
Before I read it, I want to give a little bit of context. So if you're visiting with us, we've been working through the book of Ezekiel, which is an extraordinary book. It's kind of challenging as well and amazing. But we've got to understand the context for it. So th the way I kind of see it like this is that the high point in the Old Testament was when David was king and then Solomon. And it was like everything was going right. And we got the, the abundance of all God's goodness. And then we got this long, there's a lot of books in the Old Testament, which then just kind of detail the decline of Israel. We had one king after the other and everything kind of went wrong. And then it got worse and it got worse and it worse. And it's into that context that God was sending his prophets. And the prophets were basically saying, repent, repent, right? And that wasn't because you know, the, 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 the call on God of them was to come back because they were drifting so far off. So one after the other. And, he, and basically God in the end said, look, if, if you carry on like this, Jerusalem is going to fall. Jerusalem is going to fall. The temple is going to be destroyed. And of course, that's exactly what happened. And Ezekiel lived in this time right at the end of that season. He's actually in one of the first groups to be taken to exile. And then about halfway through the book, um, the, the temple is destroyed. And, and so what, at the beginning of the book, you get a lot of stuff where God has explained to his people why he's doing these things. And then the, the extraordinary thing is towards the end of the book, you start to get message of, of hope. You get messages of restoration, messages of God saying, look, no matter how bad it is, I want you to know I've not forgotten you. I will renew my covenant with you. And then to, at the very end of the book, about chapter 41, Ezekiel has this, sees this vision of a man, and this man starts to show him that the temple, even though it's been completely destroyed in Jerusalem, is going to be restored. And he actually gives Ezekiel a tour of the temple and says, this is, what I, this is what I want you guys to do here, and this is what I want you guys to do here. And it's really detailed. And then uh, in, in chapter 43, the extraordinary thing is the presence of God comes back. So God is saying, I may have gone, but I'm going to come back. And then chapter 47, this is the section we're going to read. He gets uh, this vision where this man, again, showing him what is going to happen, not just when the temple is, is rebuilt, but the glory of the Lord returns. Okay? And so this is, this is the description of what happens once the glory of the Lord returns. So this is chapter 47, verse 1. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? He then led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedai to En Eglam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, but the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. 
Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. Exciting stuff, huh? So these guys receiving this message originally, they're in exile. They've seen everything they've known destroyed. They're away from their homes. They're in a strange land. They're, you know, they're suffering. They're in terrible trouble. And God says, look, I, there will be a time when my glory comes back to the temple. And this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be like water flowing out from the temple. And I love verse 6 where the man says to Ezekiel, son of man, do you see this? Do you see this? I really like that. And it's at that point, I don't think what he's saying is, do you see this river? Because it's like, yeah, it's huge. I think what he's trying to say is, do you see what this river does? Do you see what this river does? See, it goes on from here, and it says, right, the first thing that happens is it flows into the Dead Sea. How many animals can live in the Dead Sea? Nothing. And yet, this river of life, the first thing it does is it completely transforms the salty sea into fresh water. There's like a complete transformation from one state into another, from a state where nothing can live into a state where everything lives in abundance. And then what you get, so he's like, do you see this? Do you see what this water is doing? Do you see what the presence of God is going to do? Do you see the impact of this river? And then, and then he said, and then so you, we start to look at it. And you see the salt water becomes fresh. And then there are swarms of living creatures. There are fishermen on the banks. Right, and they're all the way down, they're spreading their nets because there's so many fish. There's fruit trees growing aside the tree, by, aside the river. There's this abundance of fruit. Not only is it going to provide, but it's also they're going to bring healing. You see, what he's saying is, when Jesus, when God comes back to the temple, there's going to be this river of life. This river of life, and everywhere it goes, it says the reason there is all of this is because the water from the temple goes there, right? This happens because the water of the temple goes there, because everywhere this water goes, there is life. That's why I'm wearing this shirt today. It's not springtime yet, but it is where the river of life is, right? It's an abundance. There's this incredible abundance. And I want to say to you that this was hope. This is a picture of hope for them, but it is a picture of hope for us. It is a picture of hope for us. See, where, you know, where in the Old Testament, the, the idea was that the presence of the Lord came and dwelt in the temple. But you see, in the New Testament, because of what Jesus did for us, the, the, um, the, the promise we have, the hope that we have is that Jesus comes and dwells in our hearts. Guess what? We become temples for the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus comes and dwells in our heart, guess what? There is springs of living water welling up to eternal life. It's the river of life. And I love this picture, this, and when he says, do you see it? Here's the message, do you see it? Do you see that we have in us, right, this temple where there is this same river flowing? And guess what? It flows into a salty sea, which is us. In us, we can bring nothing. We are, we, you know, we're sinful. And yet what happens is the Spirit brings total transformation. It turns the salty sea into a freshwater sea where life can exist in abundance. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to bring us life. These are all the promises of the gospel message. I want to bring you life and life in all its fullness. I want to lead you. I want to you know, provide for you. I want, to, I want to bear fruit, right? I want to bring healing. All these things are wrapped up in this picture.
Who's excited? Well, <laughs> I think I really, uh, on one level, this picture you see in itself is enough. This picture is enough. This is a picture of the gospel that is meant to be very real to a people who are in a, a land that needed water. Right, we're just going to turn on a tap. But, you know, water in, in Israel is, is not, there's not like some massive river through the middle of Jerusalem. There is in heaven. <laughs> yeah. And it's because, you see, it's the river of life. And this is the promise that we have. This is the promise that we have. This is the hope that we have, that there is this river of abundant life that is flowing through us. And so, um, in a sense, that is enough. And if you leave here today and you, and you just meditate on that image, and you just hold that image, and you hold that promise, I think that is enough. That is enough. But uh, I suppose I wanted to, to um, encourage us, though, that with that image, as I was praying about it this week, I felt the Lord say, you know, this, this, this image, which in itself is enough, this hope that we have, it, it, this hope that, that exists, it, it's like he wants us to, he wants to encourage us. It's like th th this is meant to be, I mean, what, what good is hope if it doesn't do anything? What, <laughs> what you know, we, there's no point just holding it or, or like getting a picture, oh, that's the river of love, you know, and put it on the wall and it's like, got that tick? No, I mean, this is meant to be active hope. It's meant to be hope that changes us and shapes us. It's meant to be hope that makes a difference. Otherwise, what use is it? So uh, maybe that's the thing I'm trying to say here. Does, does this feel like something that you can build your life on, this idea that we have this, we have the Holy Spirit within us in the temple that is our heart, and there is this river of living water? Because I think there are three, three things that Jesus put on my heart this week, which is like, I really want us as a people to be encouraged by this hope in three different ways, right? And each there, I'm just going to summarize them each in two words so that we can say them together and not forget them. Are you ready? The first one is this. Hold on! Oh, that was great. I didn't even have to ask you to do it. Yes. Hold on. Hold on. Can we take this hope and hold on? And I want to say that because there is this idea in the church, uh, and I want to kind of, I, I want to just break this if I can. There is this idea, I think, in the church that the fullness of life that Jesus brings or promises means that our lives should always be pain-free and without any suffering, and we should look good and sound good and, you know, have this picture-perfect life. Do you know what I mean by that? And there is this, this idea that everything should be great. And if you're suffering, well, obviously you're doing something wrong. Eh. Let me just ask you this. Right, let's look at the Bible. Let's look at the disciples. How many of them had easy lives? Those guys were on fire. They had it, right? They were right there. They hung out with Jesus. How many of them had easy lives, right? There's Paul. My <coughs> Paul. <laughs> Did he have a smooth, suffering-free existence? Let's look at Jesus the model of our faith. Did he have this picture-perfect life without Paul? I want to say to you the hope that we have. The hope that we have is not for that. That is not the hope. That is not the hope. That is not the promise, right? Here's the thing about the river of life. There are going to be times in your Christian life when you're down the deep end, and you're wallowing, and you know, you're, you're floating around, you've got a cocktail in your hand, you know, like, woohoo! There's going to be times. 
But I tell you what, there's going to be times when you're down the shallow end. You're going to be down the shallow end. And it's going to be confusing and difficult. And there's something about the Christian life that you don't actually get into the deep end without going into the shallow end. Do you know what I mean? There's something about that. And when we're in the shallow end, that's difficult. And it's in those situations that Jesus is saying, Hold on! Hold on, because this is the hope we have that's welling up within our hearts. The river of life. It's the river of life. I want to be very honest with you today, because, you know, if, if, if there is this idea in the church that our lives are meant to be perfect, it definitely exists among pastors, right? Pastors are meant to have these perfect lives. I want you to know, I've had a miserable time in February. It's been a real struggle. I got very run down. I, got, I just really struggled with, with lots of things. And, you know, when I get really worn out, I start to kind of doubt things. And I, and I kind of start behaving like a two-year-old. And I'm like, Lord, I really want to suffer better. Says, I'm not doing a very good job here. I'm just kind of stropping and getting angry with you and this kind of thing. And, um, you know, I'm actually looking at this scripture. <laughs> when I first looked at this scripture, I'm like, seriously, Lord, you want me to, to preach from the river of life? And actually, I'm going to say to him because, you know, it feels to me a bit more like a trickle of life. So this is going to be great. I'm going to have this sermon that's going to be entitled, The Trickle of Life. <laughs> and do you know what the Lord said to me? The Lord said to me, Al, the trickle of life is still life. The trickle of life is still life. And then do you know what else he said to me? He said, you know, I just allowing to imagine yourself standing there in this trickle of life. Guess what? You're nearer me. You're right by the temple. You're right by the temple. And you see, I think this is getting us closer to the hope that we have. The hope that we have is that no matter what, he never leaves us. No matter what, he never forsakes us. No matter what, he's working for our good. That's the hope that we have. No matter what is going on, right? Even if we really mess up, we've got the hope that says, no, that river isn't going anywhere. We just say sorry and we carry on. Do you see what I mean? The hope that we have is that um, no matter what happens, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. And that's why he says, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I love that song we sung earlier, The Father's House, because it was full of those kind of truths, right? If it ain't good, then God's just not finished yet. It doesn't mean he's forgotten you or abandoned you. I mean, I love you, Josh, sharing your testimony today, this story. That's absolutely right. You, hold, you held on, you held on, you held on. And God has pulled you out. God was actually there for you all the way through. You see, that's what we have, this river of life. We have this river of life. And, and, and if, if we have this idea that our life is meant to be perfect the whole time, then I'm going to tell you, you're going to be disappointed. If you have this idea that Jesus is going to be with you no matter what, then you will always be encouraged. So let's hold on, right? That's the first thing. Let's hold on to this, this idea. Um, let's just say it again. Hold on. Good. I think you got that, right? The second one is this. You're going to like this. Fight sin. Yeah, so this is a completely different tone, right? <laughs> it's a completely different thing. But I want to just say, and in, in some sense, we're recapping a little bit of what um, Ezekiel has been all about. But I think there is this idea a little bit in the church as well that it goes like this. Jesus died for my sins. So I don't have to worry about them. Or there is this idea that, you know, hey, uh, there are some bits of the Bible I quite like, and there are some that, eh, it's okay. I just, you know, the, old, the Bible's old-fashioned. We don't need to worry about that. There's also this idea, isn't there, that as long as I'm not hurting anyone, then surely it's okay. You know, I'm very loving. I'm all that kind of stuff. 
The problem with that, right, the problem with that is that's exactly what Israel was saying. That's exactly why the prophets were sent, because they were drifting further and further away. If you want to summarize the cry of the prophets, the first was a cry against immorality. The second was a cry against idolatry. And the third was a cry against injustice. Right? And, and I want to just, I want to be clear about this, because yes, we are under grace. We live in the gospel. We're under grace. Right? So God is not going to come and destroy our temple. But if we are living in those things, it will destroy our spiritual life. It will destroy. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this phrase and actually the hour of power we're looking at this morning, grieving the Holy Spirit. Grieving, you know, it is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's like this, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, if our lives are, are, are full of sin and we're doing all these things and we're not trying to fight it, then it's like, it's like we're, we're restricting the flow of the river of life. It's not that there is no life. It's just that the kingdom of God can't come. God can't move in great power. You know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this this last month. Because, you know, there's no revival, there's no sense of the kingdom coming without taking sin seriously, right? And God doesn't call us to be perfect. That's the, po the point about grace is not to set us free from worrying about sin. The point about grace is it sets us free to think about it. It sets us free to address it. You know, so many people struggle, we, we all struggle with things, and we're like, well, I won't tell anyone about that. Eh. <laughs> because the point is you're under grace, so it's okay to tell someone about it. It's okay to confess it. It's okay to address it and say, no, I want to take this thing seriously. It's a bit like this, you know, Paul says in Romans, hey, I'm under grace, therefore, you know, can I do whatever I like? And he's like, no, you're missing the point because you've got this river of life. It's meant to be the source of hope. There's so much hope and there's so much life and there's so much possibility. So let's take this thing seriously that's grieving it, that's stopping the flow. It's like sometimes we want to go our own way. We're just we're swimming against the flow. And we're like, thanks very much, God, but I want to go this way. He's like, well, no, because the fish are that way. The fruit's that way. It is no surprise that throughout history, right, Lent, which is the season, traditionally a season of drawing close to God, has started with Ash Wednesday. Woohoo! Why do we do Ash Wednesday? That's what we're going to do on Wednesday night. Ash Wednesday is an opportunity to repent of our sins. And why do we do that? Because if we're going to be serious about going on a journey to draw close to Jesus, the first thing we're going to do is deal with the sins. And so as well as holding on, you see, this hope, and, and this isn't like, this isn't like, oh, I must, I must fight sin because then I'll be okay with God. No, we have the river of life within us. The thing is, we want, we want that river to be wide and deep and fast and preferably hot, <laughs> you know, whatever, refreshing and hot. We want it to be whatever, right? We want it to be full of life. And if, if we want to do that, I want to say, guys, We've got to take sin seriously because God at the end of the day is God. God at the end of the day is God. Okay, so um, hold on. Fight sin. You like that one, don't you? And crave him. Crave him. And I want to I'm not going to say too much about this. The thing about this new clock is I still can't see it, even when I squint. So it's, I'm going to assume it's about 10 o'clock, yeah. Um, but no, I'm really not going to say a ton about this because I'm going to talk more about this next week as we launch forth into Lent. But I, it's really important whenever we're talking about the river of life from this scripture, we have to talk about Jesus. Because the most significant thing about the river of life is not how deep it is or how many fish there are. Those are all good and those are important. Or that they do healing. But it's where it comes from. 
is where the river comes from. And actually, this is the most extraordinary thing for Ezekiel. We started this series in Ezekiel 1, where he, he's standing by the, the, the Kaba River in exile, and he sees this vision of the presence of the Lord coming. And he is literally out. For the, he's out. He can't do anything for seven days. And one of the reasons it was such a shock to him, such an extraordinary shock, is like, oh, my gosh, God is meant to dwell in Jerusalem. And now he's no longer in the temple. That was radical, 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 radical. If God has left, we do not want God to leave us, guys. We do not want the temple to go from our hearts. That is a major problem because why? It's the source of the river of life. It's the source of the river. And I suppose this, this, is, this is the thing that God put on my heart. It's so easy for us in life to crave fish. <laughs> I want lots of fish. Oh, look how big this fish is. Right? It's very easy to crave fruit. I want to be very successful. I'm going to be a great fruit farmer. I mean, it's very easy to crave all these other things and forget that really we're meant to crave the one who gives us these things. And um, I, I, I want to say to you quite seriously, it, it just in the same way that it's like, can we take sin seriously? Can we take our relationship with Jesus seriously? And I want to say that word again, relationship. Right, because craving Jesus doesn't mean, you know, I, I mean, you know, being religious about doing this, that, or the other. No, what it means is saying, no, actually, the, w- the water, the source of this flow comes from my relationship with Jesus. And I think, you know, it's easy to get into this mode of, really, am I really meant to have a relationship with him? I don't really know. How does that work? I mean, it's interesting. We started the discipleship group on Snowmageddon night here on Thursday. And this, the, what we start with that group is we s- always start by saying, let's talk about our quiet times with Jesus. And there's always a part of me that goes, really, do, do we really need to talk about this? And I'm like, we're never, there's never been a time when we've talked about it when it isn't extraordinary because that's the front line, guys. That's the front line. The enemy wants to cut off the river of life before it gets to the doors of the temple. But when we crave him, we're craving that relationship with the one from whom the river of life flows. So, here we go. Are you, oh, and of course, the point about it is these three things go together. That we pick up this hope that we have. And the idea is that we hold on, we fight sin, and we crave him. Because of this water. And as we do that, you see it wells up in us. And I do think there'll be times when we're, we're in deep and there'll be times where we're in shallow. But you know, what progressively happens is we get further deep and, we, and the Lord will constantly take us deeper and deeper with him and our relationship will grow. And we start to see him move like Josh did. And then, um, then you know, we start to see that really all things are possible. That all things are possible. So are you ready? Hold on. Fight sin. And crave him. Who's ready? You're still awake. It's quite warm in here, isn't it? Why don't we stand? So look, let's do this. We're going to sing a song, and um, 
I, I really want to encourage you to receive this message, that the river of life, this is the, the gift of God, the river of life is in you and flowing through you. We have this promise of life. Just like uh, Ezekiel was, you know, we are to some extent um, in a foreign land. We are the people of God in a foreign land. And so this vision, this promise is for us. And the idea is we're taking this and um, we want it to encourage us to hold on, to fight those things we struggle with in our lives and to propel us into deeper relationship with him. And so I just finished by asking you this, which of those three seems most relevant to you today? And as we worship, I want to encourage you to bring that to him, and we'll see what he wants to do, and we'll take some time to pray into it after. So let's pray. Jesus, we want to say thank you. Lord, you say to us, so if we drink water, right, we'll be thirsty again. But the water you give us will well up within us to eternal life. And so we pray, Lord, today, no matter where we are, that you'll come, refresh us, encourage us, and move us into the things you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.